Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We're going to continue to move through the book of Titus, and we are in chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to be looking at this idea of grace and godliness as it relates to our interaction with the world. We uh, put a graphic up on the screen to show that grace is the uh, trunk of the tree, and there's three areas where our godliness is going to permeate. They're kind of the branches off the trunk of grace, and they're going to be in the church, the home, and the world. So I tried to just kind of give you that image that you could always remember. Grace is what saves us. Godliness springs from grace in three main areas, the church, the home, and the world. That's where we're supposed to live out our faith. So chapter three is really about our faith in the world. And what I'd like to do is, if you're physically able, would you stand for the reading of the word of God? Um, We're gonna read verses one through eight of Titus three. Titus three, verse one. While you just kind of get situated, let me pray. Father, thank you for every precious soul that is here. I heard something profound that was shared by Ravi Zacharias this morning as he was reading C.S. Lewis. And Lewis said, you don't just have a soul, you are a soul. What you have is a body. And Lord, we're thinking about Jim Gromus this afternoon as we will celebrate his home going and knowing how he struggled in his body like so many, Lord, and just to know um, how precious our souls are to you and what you endured for us. We're just so humbled and grateful. And as we look at this subject of grace and godliness and our impact of the world, I can't help but think of what Corey just shared and how we go out into the world. And, you know, Jesus, you prayed that the world may know through the church. And so it's our prayer that you would just do what you want to do, Lord, in our hearts this morning. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. We pray for your glory and your honor in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Titus 3.1 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and write it on our hearts. You may be seated. So today in verses four through seven of Titus three, we probably have one of the most tremendous 
salvation statements in all of Scripture. It's a more, you could say, a more detailed uh, description of salvation than even John 3.16, although John 3.16 is the golden text. But it is uh, what many scholars believe is an early church hymn. Often when you see uh, the wording like, this is a trustworthy statement, there are many scholars that believe that this was an early oral tradition or a creed that was uh, around in the church and maybe even used at baptisms uh, and uh, memorized or catechized in the hearts of the people of God. It was something to remember, something to really put into your heart and know who you are in Christ. Speaking of salvation, um, we have an incredible story from now over 100 years ago when the Titanic sunk. And some of you uh, have heard stories about passengers on the Titanic, and you've heard, you know, uh, some of the drama and seen movies about it and maybe even documentaries. But there's a story, and some of you have heard this story, about maybe a little-known passenger to many. His name was John Harper. John Harper was actually headed to Moody uh, Church, where D.L. Moody had founded this historic church, and uh, he was going to go there to preach. And he had boarded the Titanic with his six-year-old daughter. And uh, he, he was going to end up at this church. And really, the church was interested in making them his pastor, their pastor. And uh, he had a great reputation for uh, pastoring churches. He had pastored two other churches in England. He was known as a faithful and fiery preacher who would speak to uh, you know, vast audiences and, and had great command by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was even said of John Harper that if he was being uh, ridiculed from the crowd, he could deal with that really well as well. Well, he got on, on the Titanic with his six-year-old daughter. He was a, he was a widower. And uh, of course, you know the story of the Titanic. The Titanic hit an iceberg. And uh, what they touted as the unsinkable ship began to sink in the icy waters. And as people were scrambling and trying to figure out what to do and enter into lifeboats, the stories that were shared about John Harper was that he began to preach to people after he made sure his six-year-old daughter was safe. He got her on a lifeboat. And they said because he was a single father and there was no mom, they would have let him on a lifeboat. But he said, no, I'm not going to go on a lifeboat. And he began to preach to people. And he was just simply preaching this message. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And he was going up to people and one man kind of rebuked him and ridiculed him and said, I don't want to hear that. And Harper took his life vest off and gave it to the man and said, you need this more than I do. And he was yelling and he was saying, women and children and the unsaved, get on the lifeboats. And he had a real passion for God. And I want to ask you a question. If you were facing the icy waters and you were facing your own death, would preaching the gospel message be your priority or getting into a lifeboat? Which would you choose? You know, when life really comes down to what you really believe, these are the moments that, you know, really reveal if you believe what you say you believe. I wanted you to see a picture of John Harper because he was a real man with a real daughter. This is a picture of him. Let's go to the next one. And he was the true hero on the Titanic. And you know, he let a little six-year-old girl go that he loved very deeply because his priority was to preach the kingdom of God and to make sure that people were saved. I wonder what you and I would do in those kinds of situations. They had a, 
survivors meeting about four years after the sinking of the Titanic. And there was a man that stood up and he was in Ontario, Canada at this meeting. And he said, uh, John Harper swam up to me on two different occasions in the icy waters dealing with hypothermia as we held on to wreckage and he would swim from person to person. He was in the water still preaching the gospel. And he was saying to people, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And one, one man said, the first time he swam up to me, he said, I, I wouldn't do it. And he said, he swam back to me a second time, fighting the icy waters and hypothermia. And he said, are you saved yet, brother? <laughs> and the man said the second time, realizing he had miles of icy water and was facing his own death, he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said that John Harper eventually succumbed to the frigid waters. And then a lifeboat came by and rescued him, and he said, I'm John Harper's last convert. If you go to just show a few more of the pictures, this is a reminder of you know, what happened that day as that boat went down. We just go ahead and scroll, Jim, through the rest of them. It was a very frightening time, a very challenging time, but... There was a hero on board that day. He doesn't get a lot of press in the world, but I'll tell you what, I don't know how many people got saved that day because of John Harper, but John Harper uh, really lived out what he said he believed. This particular chapter is a chapter about living out what we say we believe as well. Paul's been telling us as a church that we adorn the doctrine of God. We actually wear the gospel we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, 14, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. We are to put on the armor of God, piece by piece. And as we do, we'll reflect the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom, and his name is Jesus. We are to live out what we might call, since clothing is the metaphor here, salvation style. We all appreciate style, right? We all, we all, you know, a lot of us like to shop for clothes and that kind of thing. We, maybe we like to pick out a nice tie or a nice shirt. But when we go out, and uh, we only have today, right, we are to clothe ourselves in such a way that the world may know. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17. A couple of different times he prayed for their love, and he prayed that the disciples would be unified, that the world may know. The world does watch the Christian church. The world even knows our songs. It knows amazing grace, and I can only imagine, and it touches their hearts. But as they look at the church, the question is, what are we doing in terms of permeating the world in our behavior? Of course, the believers on this particular island, remember I was telling you about the Cretans, and uh, I told you that there was an old song, Mamas, don't let your, Cretan, don't let your babies grow up to be Cretans, right? You remember that? That actually wasn't the song, but anyway. But the, the island had a pretty bad reputation, you know, and, and these believers had to make a difference on this island. We have to make a difference on the island of the IE. Are we on an island? Is the Inland Empire an island? No, I don't think it is, but anyway. Sometimes it's an island if you're on the 91, right? <laughs> and so the question is, what are we doing with our lives? What are we doing with our time? What is God doing through you and me? I hope your Christianity is not just about driving to church and spending an hour and a half here. I hope it's much deeper than that. Or if it's just that right now, I pray that you're thinking about deeper things and how God can use you wherever he has placed you. 
And so godliness is a God-centered or God-dominated life, and that applies to the church, the home, and the world. And it also applies with how we interact even with government officials. If you look at Titus 3.1, it says, remind them, that is the believers, that are um, not to disregard you, end of chapter two, remind them to be subject to rulers. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and this is Living Truth Radio, and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. Have you found that probably a lot of your Christian life and a lot of teaching that you listen to is really just reminders? You know, uh, the, the job of a pastor when it's all boiled down is just to be a good reminder. <laughs> it's like when I speak to you guys week in and week out and I talk to you on Sunday mornings, a lot of the truths that I share with you, you already know. I'm in the reminding ministry. I'm, I'm almost like a mama, you know? Did you, get, did you pack this? Did you take that? Did you get it? How many of you are grateful for moms and wives who are always prepared? My wife, I don't know how she pulls certain things out of her purse. Oh, I've, I've got one of those. How do you have a sewing kit? <laughs> right? And she will often remind me, I'd like to tell you I have a great track record when my wife reminds me. Did you do this? Did you do that? Ah. Anyway. Paul says, I want to remind you. I want to remind you what you should be doing. A bad memory, says John Stott, was one of the main reasons for Israel's downfall. They forgot over and over and over again. Just take a peek at Psalm 106. Turn over to Psalm 106. The Psalms are great to comfort our souls and also to challenge our walks. We're supposed to learn from the mistakes of Israel, Psalm 106. And this Psalm recounts God's faithfulness, but their blunders. Psalm 106, look at verse seven. They're a lot like us. It says, our fathers, Psalm 106, seven, in Egypt did not understand thy wonders. They did not Psalm 106, 7, remember thine abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, Psalm 106, verse 8, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up, and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. And so he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them, verse 10, from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words and they sang his praise. We all remember the song of Moses, Exodus 15. But notice, just like us, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Later in these Psalms, it says they pained, if you go back to Titus, they pained the Holy One of Israel. And again and again and again, he would come through for them. And again and again and again, they would forget him. 
and they would move on to other things. And it's very easy for us in a world and in a country where we have so much at our fingertips to forget God because often we don't have to depend on God. You know, the ancients didn't have sprinklers. I was just thinking about this. We've gotten a lot of rain in Southern California. But to pray for rain was a huge thing. Life and death issues were at stake and they couldn't just turn on sprinklers in the morning. Rain had to come. But we have so much available to us, so much at our beck and call. We tend to forget God and we need to be reminded that we can't forget him and all that he's done for us. Paul even said to Timothy, I remember the faith that you have in your family and I remind you, 2 Timothy 1.6, to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I remind you, fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. Stir it up. Sometimes we've got to just come to church to get stirred up again, to face another week and hopefully live another week victoriously. Amen? Amen. And so here we are together and Paul says, I want you to remind them. We're in the reminding ministry. Maybe some of you are good in the reminding ministry. We need to be. Remind them to be subject, Titus 3.1, to rulers. That word subject is hupotasso. It means to fall in line. To rulers and to authorities. To, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. If you take verse two with verse one, the subject is rulers and authorities and we're to malign no one. Uh, it seems to me that the maligning of political leaders especially has become really a, uh, it's become a hobby for Americans now. It's an American pastime, frankly, to ridicule and mock and malign rulers. Uh, we were asked a question on the Bible Answer Show and I made a confession on the air, so I'll say it here. I've probably done more time complaining about political rulers than I have praying. I'll just make a confession. Maybe you can relate to this. I've done more complaining than I've done praying for political leaders. Whether or not I'm on the same page with them or not, um, we are supposed to be praying. First Timothy 2 says we're to pray for all who are in authority. We're to pray. We're to live a quiet and tranquil life. But look, we, we realize that we get frustrated, and I'm not saying that we cannot be those who critique and those who speak truth. But when our uh, positions start to move into maligning, and look, the people on the island of Crete had reason to malign their rulers. The island was so debauched, it had such a terrible reputation. It had to be hard to be a Christian on the island of Crete. There was so much sin, so much nastiness, so much war, so much rebellion that it had to be hard. And sometimes when you spoke to people or maybe even had an audience with a political leader, if you got shot down and you weren't getting warm fuzzies from people that you were praying for, look, it's hard. Sometimes you try to share with somebody and, and they mock your Christianity. And I, I don't know, my fallback, I'd like to say every time my fallback is just to pray and give the blessing instead. But look, this is why we need reminders. <laughs> because my flesh wants to do just the opposite. The Bible says we need to pray and obey leaders because there's no authority that's not from God. Now, the authority of the government is to promote good and stem the tide of evil. And the Christian church has always been a 
salt and light influence and a change agent in the culture, and we should continue to be so. But we are going to lose credibility. Please hear what I'm saying. We are going to lose credibility and not even get an audience if we don't handle ourselves properly. Look, the world knows a whole lot about backbiting and infighting and cutthroat stuff. They live in it every single day, folks. They live in a world where in corporate America or even people who are addicted to you know, unspeakable things, they'll, they'll cut somebody's throat to get ahead. And the church is to be different. The church is to say, no, look, we love each other. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to be unified. That's why Paul said, we need to, we need to endeavor to retain that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because the world is watching and they're wondering, is there something different Notice the sweeping statements. We are to malign, verse 2. What's your Bible say? No one. Always looking for loopholes, but I don't see any here. Can I malign just a few people that deserve it? The word malign, by the way, means to speak evil of, and it has the idea of slander. Again, Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, and he spoke truth to Pilate. There's nothing wrong with speaking truth and speaking truth in love. But there's a difference when you, when you move to slander. When your intent is to ruin somebody's name, whether it's in the halls of your home or somewhere else in the community or wherever you may be talking, we have to be careful of what we say and even how we say it. We need to be ready for every good deed. That's verse one. We need to be obedient. And maybe, you know, before a word leaves our tongue, we need to think a little bit more and pray a little bit more. You know, it would be one thing if I could just stop here and say that, you know, the, the text should be just dealt with in the context of political rulers, but really, it says to malign no one. And I'll tell you what, the idea of maligning and slandering somebody's name is a lot wider than just political leaders. You know, sadly, there's a lot of time spent with this little thing that James said is a powerful instrument it's called the tongue. And it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we praise our God and Father. And with it, huh, we can tear down people really well. And the Bible tells us, look, if we're going to make a difference in this world, we can't be people who are sitting here slandering others. We can't be running them down or even murdering people with our words, ruining their name. This is the call of the church, and I know it probably causes us, all of us, hopefully, to do a little reflecting on how we handle ourselves. We're to malign no one. We're to be uncontentious, verse 2. The New King James says peaceable. The NIV says the same. The ESV says we're to avoid quarreling. Boy, if we could get this one together, we'd be doing pretty well, huh? Some of you parents just say, I would just like the backseat of my car to... Find fulfillment in Titus 3 2. Stop fighting! <laughs> we are to show, we're to be gentle. Look at middle of verse 2. These are things that we ought to be doing on the positive side. We, negative side, don't malign, don't be contentious. Positive, the word gentle there, and we are to show every consideration. 
The ESV has a nice rendering of this. It, show, it says, to show perfect courtesy. The NIV renders it, show true humility for all men. We know that gentleness uh, is a word that's, that often has the idea of meekness, which is simply power under control. That's what Jesus was. He had all the power. He could have called down legions of angels. He could have destroyed the landscape from the cross if he wanted to, but he kept the power, what, under control. That's, that's the idea of gentleness. Perfect courtesy. Let me ask you a question. How many courteous people have you met in the last year where you're blown away by their courtesy? Courtesy and respect for authority. Just, just take the two principles we're teaching right now. Respect for authority. Look, if, if we lose respect for authority in the world... You know, and, and that is happening right now, and I suppose every, every generation could say that the younger generation maybe has lost some respect. But respect for authority is kind of the big picture here, and courtesy is another big picture. Welcome, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Living Truth Radio, and I'm sitting with Pastor Michael here in the studio. I would like to read something to you. It's Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. There's some key words that I want you to explain to our audience who are just listening in right now for the first time. Can you explain what verse four is without having to teach? I mean, just going over everything. Well, you know, Oscar, when you think about the word kindness, um, all of us have had someone be kind to us, hopefully. And kindness is is always this pleasant surprise. You know, someone holds a door for your family walking in a restaurant. Well, that could also be nice. Yeah, niceness. Um, When someone is kind, you know, kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but kindness is what God is. He's, He's full of... An Old Testament word that we use is hased. It, it speaks of God's uh, loving kindness. That's how it's often translated, his loyal love, his mercy. Um, even when he announces his name to Moses, he says, the Lord, the Lord, right? Full of loving kindness. And so um, that's how verse four hits me. God is kind. God loves us. He loves his creation. His love for mankind appeared. And, uh, you know, that just gives me hope, Oscar, that God uh, hasn't just left us as orphans. The Bible doesn't say he spun the universe into existence and just said, good luck to you. Uh, he cares about us. He's, he's kind and he loves mankind. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org, or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92. Eight eight zero. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.
www.thepeopleshow.org.